Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Hello again, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. Football season is upon us. Never before have we been so happy to be in August, which is normally 112 and oppressive. In this particular case, it's 100% chance of precipitation. But really what we're talking about, KJ, is football practice has started. Just plain giddy. Just plain football. Just plain giddy. That's me. As I pointed out last week, it's always kind of a letdown, too, because football practice starts, and then you realize you still have another three weeks till there's an actual game. They haven't even put on pads yet, so it doesn't count. But they're out there. Yeah, well, at some point, I'm sure we'll relive the fact that you had two-a-days every day for 112 days in the month of August in your day. And now they get to put on, you know, they have to acclimatize. A- acclimate. Acclimate. Thank you. That's probably actually a word you'll find in the dictionary compared to what I just used. But uh, point being... Practice started yesterday. We were there to hear Jimbo Fisher's remarks. What do you think about uh, his remarks? Anything stand out? Well, I compare him back to his first year. And remember the first year we were talking uh, about how fast he was talking. Right. And that he would try to answer a question before someone got through asking it. And I reflect now this is seventh uh, beginning of the year uh, press conference. And, and he talked a little slower and he let people get through with their questions before he tried to answer them. So uh, he's made great improvement. He definitely has uh, decelerated there, but he will still, uh, particularly if it's a topic he wants to hit on, he'll cut you off midstream. And he, go that he will. And he'll particularly answer curt and short if it's a question he doesn't want to address. Right. Showtime's cameras were on hand, which at this point, Showtime's cameras are probably everywhere that Jimbo and football players go for the next uh, four months. It'll be interesting for that behind-the-scenes look. Uh, I think it'll actually be very interesting. I'm looking forward to that series. Haven't subscribed to Showtime yet. Maybe I'll just go to Madison Social on Tuesday nights. But uh, I I think that will be a good peek behind the curtains. I walked in. Pardon me. I walked in with the the camera crew coming in. And you were ahead of them. And I was behind them. And I'm going, there's like eight people. And they're carrying big, big bags of equipment. Portable equipment. Yeah. And big, big cameras. With big, big lenses on them. Expensive stuff. But I didn't know who they were because they had Florida State shirts on. They didn't have Showtime or any. I'm going, is this Seminole Productions? They are. Have we really ramped up our equipment this great? And then someone pointed out to me that that's the Showtime people. And, and it's it's impressive. Well, and you mentioned Seminole Productions. They've been in the process of building a new control room, which has been reported. And it has to do with the ACC network and the new video board. Yesterday, after Jimbo's presser, we walked past and we saw the new control room. And then the next room looked like another new control room. And I said, I didn't know they were adding a third right now. And then we talked and it turns out that's the Showtime editing suite is what it is. They basically are embedded at the Athletic Center right now. That's where they're putting the whole thing together. So uh, we're not trying to just plug Showtime here, but that will be Tuesday nights at 10, starting the Tuesday after Labor Day. Getting back to football and the business at hand. I heard Jeff Cameron remark, or maybe it was Tom Lang, that it seemed like Jimbo was was busy or felt seemed preoccupied, like he had work to do. And I think it's fair to assume that when you don't ease into the season and you do have Ole Miss at the front end, that maybe uh, it, it is time to just get to work. Well, we've talked about that. Uh, one of the, the the novelties that have has come about 
with these uh, larger scale opening games is that the kids' attention is is captured all the way back in January and through winter workouts and through spring ball, and we've talked about that. I think what we haven't talked about is the coach's attention is also captured. And when you're going up against an opponent with uh, the, the skill level of, of Ole Miss, and, and I was looking at some other stuff, and I, I was going to talk to you about this. Chad Kelly, starting quarterback for Ole Miss, <clears throat> threw for 4,000 yards last year and ran for over 500. Remember, we talked about Deshaun Watson, and he threw for over 4,000 and ran for over 1,000. So Kelly's only 500 rushing yards, which depending on how many games you're talking about, is 25 or 30 yards per game rushing less than what Watson put up. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think the the 30,000-foot view, because I have not studied Ole Miss, but from broad, painting it in broad strokes, they have concerns on their offensive line. And I think in these parts, we feel like Florida State's defensive line is going to be pretty good. And, you know, they lost – Tunsil, a first-round pick. They also lost uh, Treadwell, the receiver, a first-round pick. And so even though Kelly returns, I think the general broad thought process going in is that Florida State's defense at the line of scrimmage is going to be able to win that war, and ultimately Florida State's going to win that game. We'll get into much greater but, detail closer. But Kelly's pretty good. But oh, No question. Wow. No question. And uh, we've got a couple weeks to, to dissect that, and, and everybody's excited about doing that. But uh, bottom line is we're excited that practice is here. Fan day is coming up this week. Don't forget that. That comes up on a Sunday. We'll tell you a little bit more about that. Probably uh, next segment when our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld joins us. I will remind you, uh, as we do each and every week, that uh, Madison Social remains undefeated in the Mad, or FSU remains undefeated in the Madso era. I don't know if Madso is undefeated in the FSU era, however you want to look at that. But uh, anyway, if you're not aware, the Madso guys have a new venture opening up uh, right next door to, to Madison Social called Centrale, which is uh, Italian, an Italian parlor, old school Italian fare with a, a fun, fresh edge. And uh, they're targeting middle of September, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe the uh, the first game of the season. So we'll see. But uh, Madison Social, Centrale, they're right next to each other there on Madison Street. So uh, mark that down, put it in the back of your head. Remember that as you start making your way down to those parts uh, more frequently during football season. All right, one thing we should mention that we haven't yet is that part two of the Bobby Bowden interview is coming up on today's show as well. That'll be in segments three and four, and there's more intriguing uh, behind-the-scenes stuff there with Coach Bowden. But uh, immediately on the other side of this break, we'll say hello to Tim Linnefeld. Stay with us here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to the show. Time now for our Seminoles.com insider report. Seminoles.com, of course, is where you can catch Jimbo's postgame presser. The only place you can catch it uh, streaming live after each and every home game. I'll remind you real quick that Fan Day comes up this Sunday at the Civic Center. The doors open at 11 a.m. Event runs from noon until 2. It's a free event and then an open practice at Doak approximately uh, 4.30 later that afternoon. You get your uh, sneak peek at the renovations. 
Little tidbit, by the way, Tim Linnefeld will have his very own table at Fan Day. He'll uh, be signing autographs. He'll be signing autographs. And he's not limited to one item. He'll sign as many items as you bring. That's no, right. Come on, come all. Come one, come all, and see our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Tim, uh, you know, the renovations, there's been a lot of hype about this, as there should be, because this is not a... Uh, cosmetic yeah it's not a small change these are not insignificant changes we've talked about them here but you get a chance you work in the building uh you know in university center d so you get a chance to look at these what's your thoughts how's it progressing uh, i think it looks really good and, and i'll be honest uh you know when everything kind of got started uh and i wouldn't say i was skeptical but i really was wondering how it was going to turn out because anytime that you make significant alterations to uh, a building like this that's uh, you know a sports stadium that for so many people is, is kind of iconic uh, in the way that it looks, um, you, you just sort of you know hope that they get it right. Uh, and for the first few months, all we could really see uh, was when you went up to the tour, there were some tours available, and, and all that you could tell was that there's going to be now the inside of the buildings. That makes sense. You couldn't see uh, any of the, the outside improvements, such as the, the rooftop terrace or the, the garnet and gold seats or, or the, the, the lighting structure that they have going in there now. Uh, and now as we get a little bit closer to the season starting, all those things are, are now in place. I think the upper deck of the seats, uh, is, is now in play. I think the lower deck is going in pretty soon. The rooftop terrace is there. The lights are there. The spears hanging over everything uh, that, that sort of reflect different colors and different lights uh, are in place, too. And it looks really, really cool. And I think it's, a, it's pretty impressive, one, how quickly they were able to do everything. I know we were all kind of sweating it to see if they were going to get in under the, under the, uh, under the deadline there. Uh, but, two, just to see how it, it, it looks like it fits in. If it, um, you know, I, one of the things I really wondered was the, the brick structure on the outside. It, it, you know, were they going to be able to find the same bricks that they used when they redid the, the university center, you know, 20 years ago? Uh, and I was talking to, uh, you know, my buddy Jerry Cutts over at the Boosters, uh, who said that they actually went through a, a pretty uh, thorough process to find those bricks, make them look uh, like they're the, the same brick matching color as to the bricks in the rest of the stadium. They've done a really great job. It looks like a natural extension. I know I sound like I'm just plugging in. I guess I am. But, uh, but I do think it is really cool. And, and when people are in there on Sunday, for the, uh, the open practice, uh, for, I guess most folks will be their first opportunity to really get a glimpse at it. I think they're going to be pretty impressed. Uh, they'll be impressed with what's going on on that end zone, but they're also going to be amazed at the size of that uh, new new scoreboard, uh, uh, video board, Jimbo board, whatever we're going to end up calling Jim, it. Jimbotron is Jimbo a term Tron. That I've heard out that there, so thing, let's just go with the Jimbotron. That thing, Tim, is huge. No, if you're going to be able to see it from space, it's going to be like the Great Wall of China. <laughs> well, except hopefully there'll be actual moving visuals on it. <laughs> I know they're testing it this week, so uh, I'm sure they'll probably continue that testing. Well, and, and the, sound, the, the, the sound system also has been upgraded uh, as part of that. That'll be that'll be interesting to hear as well as to see. We Keith and I were after Jimbo's presser yesterday. Tim Keith and I walked around, uh, you know, kind of by your neck of the woods in Seminole Productions and. Every room we looked in had a crew of like seven technicians that were doing. There was wires coming out of the wall, and they're fixing this and attaching. I said, "Man, they got some serious work going on." I guess football season's around the corner. It is, and everybody, you know, has always been sort of scrambling to uh, to get ready for it. But uh, but it's a fun time of year. It's got a different kind of energy, and the summer around the athletics department is so kind of slow to to get things going again. Feels good. Well, it's not slow now. Football practices started. I know they're back at it today. Jimbo uh, didn't have a media availability today, but he had two yesterday. Did anything uh, stick out to you that uh, you know that resonated that was different maybe than something you've heard or anything you gleaned a little bit of uh, insight into based on what Jimbo said yesterday? You know, you know what I thought was kind of interesting is, is he came out and, and was very positive. Even in his press conference, he said, you know, talked about what a great summer they had. And you know, he even laughed and noted that every coach says they had a great summer. But, uh, but he, in this case, it was true. And then he was you know, also happy after the, the first practice that everybody was upbeat, energetic, and all that. And 
you know, at first blush, that sort of sounds like your typical coach fair, and, and you kind of say, you know, nod and say, okay, let's get on with it. But, you know, if you remember, compared to, to how unhappy Jimbo was after the first practice of spring camp where everything was just sort of, you know, lackluster and lethargic, and he said, you know, guys look like they didn't want to be out there, uh, to, to have that contrast uh, compared with this one, I actually think it's a pretty good thing that, that he's saying he's happy. Um, and so that, that really stood out to me just, uh, he's back to being pleased with the first practice, which, again, compared to where we were a few months ago, uh, could be a fairly significant development. Well, maybe that first practice, even I'm talking about in spring, even if it was the best practice in the history of football practice, maybe Jimbo had predetermined that it was a message-sending practice, and he was going to set the tone right then in, uh, you know, in the middle of March or whenever that was that, uh, guys, you got a chance to be special, and I'm not going to have you loafing. And, so, and maybe it did set the tone. I don't know. I mean, that's just personal thought on that. Could be, uh, and you'd like to think that, uh, and you know, all we can do is, 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 you know, try to take, you know, at face value what he says. I know a lot of people like to get in and, and parse words and, and, and read between the lines, and you know, I, I don't know that, that he communicates in that complicated of a way. I think he's actually a little bit more straightforward than people give him credit for. Uh, but you know, if, if we go based on that, then it, again, it's uh, it, it's good to see that the guys apparently got the message in the spring and over the summer and are taking this season seriously. And, and you sort of get that sense, especially in the press conference. I think this team knows that there are some expectations for. I think it knows that it has potential and capability for this to be a really special season. And, and you know, it's one thing for that to be true. Uh, it's another thing to, to get your guys to buy into it and, and put in the, the work necessary to maximize that potential. And, you know, it's only one day and, and only, you know, one, one availability with Jimbo Fisher and, and a couple of players. So we'll see you know, sort of how their tone changes over the next few weeks. But as much as we can read into one day, it seemed like a, a pretty positive thing. Uh, coach speak uh, from Jimbo during the press conference. Every position is open. There are no starters. Uh, we obviously know that that's not the case in certain positions, but there are a couple of three positions that our listeners are very uh, well aware of uh, that will be a focus of attention. The quarterback, uh, the right tackle, uh, who ends up being uh, conv- confirmed in the linebacker positions. I mean, there are some open jobs out there. Well, and don't forget running back. That's going to be a really big one. Yeah. You know, uh, if Dalvin doesn't win that job, are they going to take that big poster of him off the wall in the players' lounge? It kind of makes you wonder. Uh, well, I think he's. I think I think he'll win the job. But, you know, you, you wonder how with some of those guys, you know, if, if three or four years down the road, if, if, if he's not here, will that be a rotating uh, rotating poster? I don't know. The, the things we'll have to talk about on the front row uh, uh, exactly. a few years from now. Uh, you know, like you said, the quarterback gets, uh, gets most of the headlines, and rightfully so. That's definitely the most intriguing uh, battle and the most significant one and will have the most implications on on this year's team but the other ones i think you want to keep an eye on uh, like you mentioned keith the right tackle position uh you have three guys there with starting experience uh excuse me two guys in uh in brock rubel and uh and Derek kelly and then you add rick leonard to the mix who by all accounts has just drawn rave reviews uh since moving over there and, and jimbo said yesterday that he's added some 30 pounds over the summer he said he's one of the few happy guys because he uh just he eat, eat all he wants, he wants. <laughs> <laughs> which is a good thing. Uh, and so, you know, we're we're seeing that shake out. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I don't know. Again, it's early in in practice, but you know, if, if Rick Leonard is able to challenge and, and and really significantly take a claim to the starting job, I mean, that, I think you know, I would be kind of surprised by that, just because he's he's you know a bit far behind in terms of experience uh, compared to the other guys. So that's one to keep an eye on at right tackle, uh, and then the cornerback job opposite of Marquez White. Uh, replacing Jalen Ramsey sounds like Tavares McFadden and Marcus Lewis are uh, are two of the, the the principal characters there. And and you know for as much as everybody talks about McFadden and rightfully so, he's a five star prospect, uh, one of the the crown jewels, if you will, of the 2015 recruiting class. 
uh, just talking to people around the program and, and talking to some of the players, um, I know Demarcus Walker was one. They're, they were really impressed by Marcus Lewis. Um, he's a you was know, a late addition to that class from the Washington D.C. area, and you saw him uh, in the spring game going up against some more established receivers. And he, he has a little moxie to him, a little bit of what for. Uh, he's not afraid to, you know, get get physical up on the line with some of those receivers who are a little more established than him, and, and sort of let them know, hey, you know, I'm not just gonna you know let give you a free pass down the field just because you're you're more established than I am. So. Uh, that's the kind of attitude you like to have in a defensive back. So I think that's going to be a really, really entertaining uh, position battle. And, and like most, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if both those guys ended up having significant roles to play this season. But, you know, only one of them is going to start in the base defense. Yeah, I've heard Marcus Lewis's name, too, and Demarcus Christmas. And to me, I feel like Trey Marshall's kind of a forgotten entity. Though, though Jimbo didn't want him to be forgotten yesterday. He mentioned him a couple times. And, uh, and maybe Josh Brown as a freshman linebacker is a guy that could have some impact. I want to go back to offense, though, Tim. You know, we came out of spring practice and everybody just, um, based on the play in the spring game, said, okay, Auden Tate's going to be the big receiver. But who do you think will emerge, and and I'll call him the fourth receiver, though he may not ultimately be number four, but he'll be in the first four along with Bobo and Kermit and Travis Rudolph. Who do you think that will be? Well, it really is hard for me to get away from Auden Tate, especially uh, after what we saw in the spring game and just his physical abilities. Uh, you know, when you saw just how, how tall he was and his leaping ability to go up over some, some pretty talented guys uh, on, on the uh, – he, he was on the gold team, if I remember correctly. So it's pretty talented t- guys on the, uh, the Garnet defense in that spring game. And, and you know, he looked – you hate to toss around the, 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 the KB word, uh, but the way he went up and got the ball in the end zone sort of reminded you uh, of Kevin Benjamin a little bit. Uh, so he would probably be my first choice. But, you know, I wonder for players like Ermon Lane and, and Javon Harrison, Pig Harrison – both of them are juniors who, you know, you kind of think that this is sort of a, a, a do-or-die year for them if they, if they don't want to get passed on the depth chart. So I look for those two guys. If, if they're ever going to be, you know, motivated to, to hold off the younger guys, this is the camp where it needs to happen. Uh, and then you also, you know, wonder about a player like George Campbell, who was another highly touted guy in last year's group that people wondered, you know, where was he all last year? And it turns out he was kind of dealing with some nagging injuries through most of the season. But watching him yesterday, he looks healthy. He looks uh, like older than a 19-year-old receiver, and he's got a pretty impressive physical build too. It's six-four, uh, 207 pounds. So uh, you know, he's got that kind of that length that you like to see. I think it, you know the, the the tiebreaker, so to speak, uh, if there is one, is you would think would go to one of the bigger receivers because they have you know in in Bobo Wilson and in Kermit Woodfield kind of the similar physically. Not that those guys don't have a role to play, but they're not the most physically imposing guys. And the same can be said for for Travis Rudolph, who. Again, I think he can, can do everything he needs to do, but he's not a, a, a big physical presence. So if they could find somebody to sort of fill that role, I think that's going to be you know where the first look goes to. Who ends up spelling Cook the most? I think it'll be Jacquez Patrick, uh, and mostly because I think he's such a good physical complement uh, to to Dalvin being so big uh, and so powerful. You, you'd love to see you know if even if it led to a reduction in in Dalvin's touchdown total, uh, you'd love to see Jacquez Patrick. I think emerge. As the goal line back, short yardage back, and you want a guy who you know if it's you know third and one, fourth and one, whatever the case may be, that you can line up and go get that. And you know, quite frankly, that's been an issue for Florida State. It really uh, has. Really, since 2013, I because they didn't have a whole lot of third and fourth and ones on, on that team. But for the last couple of years, short yardage has been sort of a sore spot for this team, and, and some of that can be attributed to the offensive line, but it can also, you know, I think be attributed to just uh, you know a running back who can you know get his shoulder pads in there and, and, and get that yard. Not to say that Dalvin can't do that, but You'd like somebody that you know can go in there and, and also leave that wear and tear off of uh, off of Dalvin's body if he can help it. 
No question. Well, we have uh, plenty of time, uh, unfortunately, still between now and that Ole Miss opener to dissect uh, many of the same, revisit the same things we talked about here and, uh, and get on to other questions as well. Tim, uh, try to stay dry at, uh, at practice today. It's a good thing we have an IPF over there, by the way. That helps. But... I tell you what, it just, that thing just, just you know, earns its keep more and more, huh? Hey, I read something. Hey, this would be two more practices that were rained out today if it wasn't for I that. read something of, uh, from 10 years ago uh, that the first practice was rained out 10 years ago. Yeah, well, the first several practices were rained out 10 years ago. It's funny you mentioned that, and I know we got to get going, but uh, I, was, I was looking at it, and you know, including his time as, a, as an assistant, this is Jimbo Fisher's 10th season at Florida State, which is kind of remarkable when you think about it, him and, and Lawrence Stassi and Rick Trickett. Uh, and just think about how far things have come. I'm going to try to ask him about it uh, over the next few days, probably at media day on Sunday. But you think about how far they've come just in terms of that. I think they had like three or four of their first six practices, something like that. I think that was leading into, it was 07 the year they opened at Clemson. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. And they had practiced, yeah. you know, uh, something like you know, maybe 14 or 15 times and they had to, they had to cancel everything. Uh, and then you remember Jimbo's first season at head coach, there were a couple of days where they, they would start practice at 7, 8, 9 o'clock uh, p.m. because like, we're, we're not going to not practice. <laughs> you know, those days are over. So uh, so everybody, the IPF is good for everybody because uh, the floor that gets their practices in and, and the rest of us don't have to be there, you know, well after dark to, to cover it. Now we just need a covered walkway or a tunnel so that you can get from the Moore Center over there without getting wet. We'll work on that next Just a golf cart. Just or a golf cart. All right, he is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. We will uh, get to segment three of the uh, show and of the interview with Bobby Bowden when we come back here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on the front row and pleased that we can bring you part two of our interview with uh, Coach Bobby Bowden. Uh, if you missed part one, go back and uh, find it in the audio vault. Uh, or on iTunes because it's, uh, it's it was an interesting conversation and a, and a pleasure and a privilege for Keith and I to sit down with uh, the guy that you once played for. But uh, th- we'll pick up the conversation here, and he talks about his relationship with Jimbo, which as FSU fans know dates well before Jimbo became the offensive coordinator under Bobby Bowden. Very much so. In fact, uh, you'll hear him make the comment that uh, you know he kind of keeps uh, treats Jimbo like a son. Uh, he, he was part of the Bowden clan growing up. No question. Here's uh, the continuation of our uh, sit-down interview with Coach Bobby Bowden. Let's talk a little bit about Jimbo and not the job he's done. We'll get to that. But when you first remember meeting him, and obviously he was with Terry, yeah. but I know he came and would work the Bowden quarterback camps, and uh, there probably were hundreds of coaches that did that. So yeah. I don't know if he stuck out along the way or if it was Terry that said, hey, this guy is pretty sharp or yeah. what you recall about that. Well, the, yeah, the, my first – because I coached at West Virginia when he was growing up. And, of course, I didn't know him then. Mm-hmm. But then he he goes to Salem College up in West Virginia where my son Terry is coaching, plays quarterback from him. And uh, Terry used to tell me about him. And he was, he was an exciting football player. And so then Terry comes to Sanford University as head coach, and he brings Jimbo with him one more year of eligibility. So Jimbo comes down and plays for him. Jimbo's player of the year in the nation. And Terry goes 10-1, and one, I think. You know, he took over a team that hadn't won a game. He wins 10 right off the bat. And then, so then he hires Jimbo. 
probably started him off as a graduate assistant, but let him coach his quarterbacks. So he hired, but they ended up hiring him at, at, at Sanford University. Then Terry goes to Auburn. He takes him down there to coach his quarterbacks. And Terry used to always tell me what, that he thought he was going to be a great coach. This kid's going to be a great coach, you know. And then I used to have, uh, we used to have a football camp at Florida State. Then I had one up in uh, Auburn when Terry was in Auburn where we, we called the Bowden Academy. All my sons coached it. And Jimbo would come and work with us, you know. So that's, that's where I first really began to know Jimbo. And uh, so I kept up with him. And then, of course, uh, when we hired him, He's the, he's the only guy we offered a job. In fact, Terry did all the footwork on that thing. You know, I mean, I, I said, Terry, get me Jimbo Fisher. So Terry called, worked worked, worked out everything, contract with him. So we were fortunate to have him. And there's a lot of people out there that think it's the reverse. There's a lot of people that said Terry came to you and convinced you to hire him that he was not your first choice. No, that, it, that's a story that's out there. Yeah, that one's not correct. I don't remember. I, now, I did, I, I, did, I did look at some other guys. I looked at the, the, the guy coaching offense at Alabama. What's his name? Was head coach at Southern Cal. Got fired at Tennessee. Lane Kiffin. Kiffin. I had him on my list. I had a, I had a couple of other guys pretty good, but I, Jimbo was the only one I made contact with, and that was through Terry. Well, and then same, same thing on Trickett, by the way. Right. You know, after the transition, and you had said this during your coaching days, that you didn't want to cast a shadow over whoever followed you. Oh, yeah. And and you didn't do that uh, yeah. with Jimbo, and you yeah. don't do it to this day, but yeah. I'm curious, behind the scenes, do you have much interaction with Jimbo? Do you go over to FSU at all? Do you guys no, talk? No, I don't. I, I, I run into Jimbo a lot, and I'm, 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 I really love Jimbo. He's, he's kind of like a son. He came up with my sons. He's kind of like a son to me, you know. And uh, But here's what happened. When I was... I go to Florida State, I mean to West Virginia, and I follow Jim Carlin. In fact, Jim takes me up there as his offensive coordinator. <clears throat> First year we won three, next year we won five, next year we won seven, next year we won nine, and a bowl. Then Jim leaves. So I get the head coach. All I heard was, why don't you do it like Jim? Why don't you do it like Jim does? Well, if, I did, if I got beat, well, Jim wouldn't have done that. I got so tired of hearing that. It really hurt our relationship. And I always said that when I leave here after 34 years, I'm getting out of town. And if I had to leave, I would. I'd go to Panama and say, I can't get early. She ain't going to leave here. You know, <laughs> she ain't going to leave here. And so that's the reason I've definitely stayed away because I know how people are. I mean, as long as he's winning, okay, nobody will say. But if he started losing, oh, they'd start getting on Bobby Well, Biden. you had some real life things going on. You had Bill Peterson yeah. doing the color analyst on the radio of the games that you did. Sure did. You had Mudra living down in Sop Choppy or wherever he was living. Sure did. Uh, and, I mean, had, you, you had real life people there involved. Were, there were, when I came to Florida State, there were four former head coaches living, living in Tallahassee. <laughs> that wasn't in the fine print either. You found that, that out later. I, I, that wasn't written in either. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, for those that are listening that have been in Tallahassee, as long as you are longer, there's two, 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 two things that are unrelated. Well, they're related to football, but unrelated, I'm going to mention to you. Uh, number one is I remember my recruiting visit, and you and Ann had us out here at the house. You used to be able to do dinner for the recruits. That's right. And I remember that big old oak tree in your front yard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember that oak tree being around for about 30 years. It's gone now. Yeah, yeah. You miss that oak tree like I miss that oak tree? <laughs> I miss that oak. Ann and I 
moved here because of that oak tree. You know, it was a. It must have been a hundred years old because it died, and uh, it, it set this house out from all the rest. And uh, so we were here. We, this we've lived here forty years now, and it's probably been gone ten. It's probably been gone ten. But that was the feature of this house. And one other story. I've never talked to you about this. I don't know if you know this, but one uh, Emerson Eugene Deckerhoff took an interview in Tallahassee and took a radio job in 1971-2-3, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, calls his wife, Ann, says, I got a job. She says, well, go find us a house. So he goes and finds a house. That's when he was written. Goes back, serves his two-week notice, comes back. Ann goes, I don't like this house. So he had to talk his way out of the lease, get his money back. Yeah. Rents another house. They set up shop. The boys are there. About two weeks after setting up shop in that second house, his neighbor comes over and introduces himself. Gene says, well, nice to meet you. I, I work at the university. I uh, sell advertising for WTAL. And by the way, I just got announced as the radio announcer for Florida State Athletics. His neighbor goes, athletics? Neighbor athletics? Wow, that's amazing. You know, boy, used to live here. was a coach at Florida State. You know, did you know he moved into your house? Yeah, sure did. That I is one of the I most bizarre. at the time. That is one of the yeah. most bizarre <laughs> Unbelievable stories. <laughs> Maple, Maple, Maplewood Street, yeah. He, yeah, Ann and I lived there for three years when I was an assistant coach with Bill Peterson. Then we left, and then Deckoff told me later on that he moved into my house. That's unbelievable. <laughs> he thanked me for the grass. <laughs> coach, I know you grew up uh, in Birmingham on the Bear, and, and Notre Dame was huge, obviously, and Frank Leahy and all that. What did you take away from your time with Bill Peterson? I wasn't, I wasn't here when Bill was here, but I don't know that I've heard you talk about sort of the progressive offense that he had in the yeah. 60s and what you took from I, it. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I took with me was the uh, pro-passing attack. When Bill Peterson was here, he tried to copy the pros. He did a pretty good job of it. Uh, we used a professional two wide outs, two split backs, th throw up pocket passing. And, and nobody did that. Nobody did that back in those days. And, and a lot of our assistant coaches was, I, I don't think know if we can win with this. I'm not sure if we can win with it. There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of speculation around the country about Florida State. At that time, Florida State, John Bridgers at Baylor, and a team in Arkansas. Anyway, there were three of us that threw the ball over all the country. And that's the biggest thing I learned from Bill Peterson was the passing game. Talk about some more some more coaches. Uh, one of them being the head coach at Miami now, Mark Richt. Yeah, <laughs> he was your quarterback coach. He was your offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't remember the whole time. Keith actually hosted him on his recruiting visit, which he'll tell you, which is why he ended up at Miami. I, I didn't oh. do a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. I tried to recruit him out of Boca Raton, Florida, and high school. And I remember when he came up and visited, I remember us exactly, he and I talking. And I liked, I liked him. He was just a nice kid, you know what? And, uh, and so we offered him a scholarship, but anyway, he decided to go to the University of Miami. And so he started against us in 82, we beat him. You know, and I, after the game, he and I shook hands and things like that. So, so, uh, so he was going to LSU as a graduate assistant. And he came through Tallahassee, and he came by my office, and I talked to him being a GA with me. So he became a GA, and I let him coach the quarterbacks, you know. 
So he was a, a GA for a couple of years, <clears throat> and then then we hired him, and uh, he started coaching our quarterbacks. And then when we lost Brad Scott, we made him offensive coordinator. He did a, did a tremendous job at Florida State. Well, what, what people may forget though is he left for a year. Oh yeah. During that time frame. He sure did. And yes, he, he did. He was so homesick and wanting to get back. Right. He came and begged you for a that's, job. That's exactly right. He, and his wife was from here. Correct. So they wanted to come back. Where did he go? I forgot. To, to he went to East Carolina. East, East Carolina is where yeah. he went. Yeah. yeah. So then he came back, and we were able to hire him back here, and everything turned out good for him. And then uh, after the the 2000 season, he went to uh, Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever you ever think you'd hear? Okay, you can average 9.7 wins a game over 15 years and get fired. That's the way it is, isn't it? You know, when I first started coaching, it was just understood. You got five years, and they ain't gonna fire you. You got five years. They figure the first year you come in there, you're new, you're not, you're not going to be able to recruit well. The next year you'll be able to recruit well. Now, if you had not had a winner by this time, we got to get somebody else. So you're going to get five years, you know. And then first thing you know, they were firing them after three. Next thing you know, they're firing them after two. One guy over at Southern Miss got fired his first year, you know. And so that all changed. And, so, and now, now Mark goes to Georgia and does a great job over there. Uh, but... You didn't. Saban won a national championship. The coach at LSU won a national championship. How come you can't win a national championship? You know, and so he just uh, he did a great job, but people are not satisfied. That's, that's one thing I find out when you when, when, Of course, they didn't win it, but when you won a national championship, they expect you to do it every year. Is Mark going to get Miami back on track? You know, I, I, I feel he will. I feel he will. Now, he's dealing with a different type of athlete down there, culture-wise, than he's probably been dealing with late at Georgia. And, uh, but he's been through that system. He knows the people there. I'd be surprised if he don't do pretty doggone good. He's got Manny Diaz with him, you know, mm -hmm. who I think's a heck of a defensive coach. Used to be here working mm -hmm. with us. And, uh, yeah. I, he used to be in the media, Coach. How did he end up at the – do you remember that? No. He, he was the sports editor at the FS View when he went to school at FSU, went up and worked at ESPN as an intern or something, and somewhere after that is when he got involved in football and became a GA with I'll you. I'll be doggone. I know the guy he, that brought him along was Chuck Amato. Right. It was kind of his boy, you know. But I, I've been really proud of the job he's done. How long is uh, Terry going to keep at it? Well, Terry's at, uh, he, he went in, he, Terry got out of coaching for two years, and he got lost in the shuffle. You know, his records, ain't nobody got a better record than him. He goes to Auburn and, and Undefeated wins, first year. Wins his first 20 games. Yeah. He goes 20, 20, 20 games. Takes them to bowls, but they had a, a pro, little conflict down there, so he left. Now, he was so disappointed he didn't want to coach anymore. So he went into broadcasting down there in uh, Orlando. And then he got where he couldn't stand it, not being in coaching. So to get back in it, he took a job at North Alabama, which is not 1A football. Well, he went to the playoff every year he was there. Then he goes to Akron, who hadn't won but one game every year for three years. You know, his first year he wins one, next year he wins five, next year he wins five. Last year he won eight and won the first bowl ever. I know, I'm flipping through channels looking at the blue field or whatever, yeah, and there's yeah, you sitting up in a box. You're right. <laughs> and I went up right through that. Exactly. And uh, so if, if he could just improve that record, I, I think that would set him up for something big. We're in this world in coaching where obviously the finances are a lot different than what they were for your tenure. 
but I was looking at the list, and uh, I don't know if it's Brian Kelly at Notre Dame or Nick Saban, but whoever's the current leader in active victories, I mean, it's it's two and a quarter. It's it's shy of two fifty. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're in an era where nobody's going to come close to Joe Pa and you. And, I mean, Frank Beamer just retired. He was the that's winning right. active he, he, coach. That's right. He was next. You see anybody sticking around with the paydays they get to try and go after that? Or is it? No, I don't know. Gee whiz. They, 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 the, 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 number one, coaches get paid so much now, they're the head coach, that they can retire easy. Or if you don't win, they're going to fire you. You know? And that keeps a lot of moving. And uh, I, you don't see them sitting in there as long as Joe Pater. Joe was there 60, I think, and I was out there 57, you know. And coaches just, I don't think they care that much about it anymore and don't have to because they have the financing, you know. And uh, so I, I don't know if, any, I know if anybody's going to do it or not. Well, Coach, one of the things I thought that was most interesting, and, and it'll maybe start off in a negative, but... You were a huge fan of Bear Bryant's. I was recruited by the Bear. Wanted me oh, to play yeah. quarterback uh-huh. um, a couple, three days before signing day. Baseball guy. Yeah, well, a couple, three days before signing day, I found out that the year prior, they had signed this little quarterback named Stedman Sheely. Oh, boy. If I go to Alabama. From Houston. To play quarterback, <laughs> I'm not seeing the field. But Coach Bryant quits coaching, and then within two or three months, he's gone. Yeah. And while that's not a fear of yours, how has the transition been? Have, have, what, what motivates you now? What, what keeps you getting yeah. up early in the morning like you always did? Yeah, and you, still do. And I, you, I, you, you seem to be as engaged as at any time I've ever seen you. Well, you know, when you're the head football coach, you can't watch other people. You coach your team Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You play Saturday. Great to film Sunday. Get ready for the next. You can't see what other, what, what's other people doing. You know what? Now what I do Saturday 12 to 12, I'm sitting there on that couch in there, two televisions, watching every dadgum game I can watch. I just, I love it. I love it. I, I've really enjoyed retirement. Here's the thing is, Keith, I can tell you, and you, you're young enough, you probably hadn't thought about it that much, your daddy, daddy's out. As long as your health is good, it don't matter how you are. As long as your health is good. You know, I've seen people 50 years old that are, that are have had it. Then, then here I am, 87 years old, and trying to get to 90. You know, you know, in four years I'll be 90. <laughs> I can't believe it, man. Never thought I'd be 85. Yeah, you know, no, I think about that every time I pass you on the road when you're driving your car. <laughs> oh boy, boy, boy. Well, Bobby would know. 34 years at the helm, and uh, once you win one, and this is not unique to Florida State, but fans want another one. And you know, we're we're in this position right now that Jimbo's won one. And there's an awful lot of hype going into this year for Jimbo to win, too. Everyone um, does things relationally. So Jimbo hadn't won one. He gets one in 13. Now, now we got to get some more. And as has been the case, Coach Bowden talked about it, it, it is so much harder to stay on the mountaintop than it is to go up the mountain. Uh, it's just that way in football. It's that way in life. Uh, it just adds increased expectation, increased um, uh, burden, and you got to work that much harder. But – that's what you work for to get your program to that level. No question. All right, uh, the final uh, segment of our interview with Bobby Bowden is coming up right after this on the front row.
Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back on the show and time to get right back to our interview with Coach Bobby Bowden. Coach, you're, you're joking about your age, and, uh, you know, another birthday comes up uh, later this fall, I think November 8th. Yeah. And I was looking at this, and you were born uh, in 1929. Right. Black Tuesday, Great Depression, was October 29th of that year, basically yeah. nine or ten days before yeah. you. I mean, so you grew up in the Depression. Sure there. did. Mm-hmm. How did that shape uh, how you – and I know there were – you know, you had some health issues in your early teens, but yeah. but but what do you recall about that time frame and and that era in America? Well, I, I was I was raised during the thirties, born in twenty nine. Uh, all of that occurred up until nineteen thirty nine, and then the second world second world war broke out. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when wars break out, you make money because it helped to have people get jobs and things like that, and so we came out of the depression, but. All I can remember about it being very simple, my dad was a banker. He couldn't have made much money now. He was a teller. He didn't own that bank. He was a teller. You know what? Mama stayed there at the house and worked. I had one sister. And uh, so we didn't have much as we look back. But you know what? We didn't know it. We didn't know it. You know what? We was eating. We had clothes. Maybe they weren't as pretty as some of these other guys, but we had clothes, you know. And so we didn't realize it, you know. And then, uh, so then the war came along. Well, when the war ended, I was 15, so I, ne- I did not go into service. But I, 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 was, I stayed in bed a year because I was sick. And all I did was listen to the radio. We didn't have television. My granddad was German, and he was living with us. And he and I would sit and listen to the news broadcast, you know. And uh, I can remember worrying about the Germans. Afraid they going to come over here and things like that as I was growing up. You know, but uh, then, 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 the, then the, after the war, America went through a great period of, of, of financial independence. Did did real well, you know, and so I was lucky. I I had six jobs in my fifty six years, fifty seven years coach. I had six different jobs. I didn't apply for one of them. <laughs> I didn't apply for one of them. Now I applied for something, didn't get them. You know. But they, they call me. We want you. We want you. We want you. We want you. And so the good Lord just took 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 care of me. You know it. And uh, so I coached for fifty seven years, and it was time to get out. I, I wanted another year, but that's that. I shouldn't. I really it was time for me to get out at my age. I was eighty. You know. And uh, but since that time, I have really enjoyed life. Ann and I have been lucky enough to stay healthy, and uh, we've lost two grandchildren, but we got we got twenty one grandchildren. Got seven great grandchildren, you know. So we we've been very fortunate, you know. We've been blessed, Coach. That time you, you've told the story. People that followed you will be familiar with it. But when when you were in bed and and not able to get around as a youngster, yeah, um, you became fascinated with mi- all things military. Yeah, particularly yeah. the strategy and the uh, the uh, organization and the preparation. Yeah, uh, I can't help but think that served you well in your coaching career. Yeah, there's a lot of value in the military life that carries over into football. You know what? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, I used to, when I was coaching you guys, 
I read all these World War II books on Patton and all those guys. And uh, they would say something. I, I'd repeat it to y'all. Y'all thought it came from me. It came from Patton. <laughs> you thought it always came from that three-by-five little card you had in your pocket all the time. <laughs> Which military leader said, if they don't score, we win? Yeah. <laughs> Halftime speech. All of them. <laughs> all of them figured that out. Now, Coach, to take that to the extreme, two things that, that I've one, – one we've talked about, one we haven't. Um, but you, you went back to Normandy yeah. on the – was it the 60th yeah. anniversary? Seventeenth, uh, yeah. Talk about what you felt, what you saw, what you felt. Okay. Now, uh, Keith, there's two documentaries coming out on me right now. I don't know if you know about them. One of them is Bobby Bowden Goes to War. So I go to Normandy. I go to Utah Beach. I go to Omaha Beach. I go to uh, a lot of the battlegrounds there and make a tape with these men who were fought there. They're 90, 90, 91, two years old. You know, and we made film. Now, they, I hope that thing comes out next fall, but I don't know when because they're trying to make a series out of it. Now, there's another documentary on the dynasty. It's all on me and those great teams that we had through the years. 80, 87 to 2000. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, that's going to come out on January the 7th the night before the national championship game down in St. Pete. They're going to try to they say it's good. I can't, I can't picture anything I'm in being all that good. I can't, you know, but maybe somebody Well, they else. didn't say it'd be pretty. Yeah. They just said it'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway, those things, one of them will be out in January. The other one, I don't know when they'll come out. They have to find the people that uh, sponsor it and stuff like that. Now, another that you and I have not talked about is you had occasion to have lunch in Germany with the son of a pretty prominent uh, German dignitary. I sure did. Tell, tell, real quickly, tell us that story. Well, during the war, Urban Rommel was the hero of the German people. Uh, he was a field marshal. Hitler had made him a field marshal. Now, he didn't like Hitler, by the way. I mean, see, a lot of people don't understand, not all the Germans were Nazis. That's like not all the Americans belonged to the Republican Party. You know, and, and so so he never got involved in all that stuff. But he was, but I liked him because he was good to the prisoners. He was he did, he's not one of those guys that tried to abuse prisoners of war. And he, and he all, I read his books. I've been all been fascinated with Erwin Rommel. So anyway, I was invited over to Stuttgart. This has been about ten years ago to make an award to the winner of the European Football League. They had football over at these different towns. What they call American football. Yeah, it's American football over there. England had a team, and Germany had a team, and France and Italy, and they all had teams. And they wanted me to come over and present the trophy to the winner. So Tommy and I flew over there. and But I had told I said, look, I'll go over there. If y'all will set me up a, a, a dinner with uh, Manfred Rommel, Rommel's son, because he's, he's mayor there. So they did. They set it up. So Tommy and I had dinner with Manfred Rommel, talked, drew pictures, had a good time. I talked about his dad. I knew more about his dad than he did. And, uh, and so, now he died, by the way. He's gone. But uh, that, was a, that was a thrill to me. And you spent some time earlier in your career at football clinics and that type of thing for service members yeah. over in oh, Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nearly every summer I would go to Europe to speak at an Air Force base they used to have football teams on those bases, and they'd bring me over. Me and Hootie Ingram went. Hootie talked about the rules, and I talked about football. You know what? 
And uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Then, well, and it's amazing what they'd do. We'd go over there for three weeks. One week, you'd do clinics. Then they would pay you for two more weeks to do whatever you wanted to do. So we would travel all over. Anna went to Germany. We went to France. We went to Italy. We went to Greece. We went to Jerusalem. We went to every t country over there, boy. Really, I really enjoyed it. One of your best lines came after one of those trips, too, because I think you relayed that you had actually uh, rented a, a Mercedes and gotten on the Autobahn, That's which right. does not have a speed limit. That's right. And I think some writer asked you why why you rented a Mercedes. Do you remember what your response was? No, I forgot. I wanted a car as nice as Dion's. Oh. <laughs> 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 well, I was going to segue back to, to some of the great athletes you've coached, like a Dion or a Charlie or Warwick or Derek Brooks, or the yeah. list goes on. What's the one commonality characteristic that every great competitor athlete truly has they have something down inside of them that's competitive and they can't stand it unless they can beat you unless they can win you know it now some of them have more talent than others to do it with like Dion was unmatched Dion and Bo Jackson are two of the best athletes I've ever seen on a football field and baseball field you know it mm -hmm. And uh, but they have that burning desire inside that that uh, you ain't, you're not gonna beat me. I'm, I'll beat you. You know it. And uh, boy, when you got somebody that's got that, then you, boy, you can build around it. Now, Tommy, I, to be fair, our grandfather sitting to my left, your right, still has a little bit of that on a golf course occasionally. <laughs> A special thanks to uh, Bobby for letting us uh, invade his home for an hour or so. He was uh, as hospitable as uh, always, uh, same gentleman as always, as you could tell from that interview. Anything else uh, or what, what resonated for you after we uh, did that interview, Keith? The biggest thing that jumps out at me is, is just his recall. He's 87 years of age, and uh, you heard him talk about he remembered the high school that Mark Rick went to. Uh, there were some other things that, w that we cut out that, that didn't make it in his recalling of plays during games and, and, and situations as they set themselves up. That's always been the most amazing thing to me. And as I indicated to him, remind you, remind our listeners, amongst my group, uh, the thing we always talk about is Coach Bowden remembers me. As many kids as have come through and as many years ago as that was, he still remembers. And, and that's a great, great trait that uh, he uses and, and everybody appreciates. Thank you once again, Bobby, and uh, maybe we'll make that uh, an annual uh, affair here on the front row uh, as long as Bobby's around, Lord willing, because uh, as you mentioned, uh, I guess he turns 87 later on this year, 86, 87 in that time frame. So thank you to Coach Bowden. We'll come back and wrap up the front row right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to the uh, front row. Tom and Keith will wrap things up. You know, it's funny, Keith. We go from the summer months where how are we going to fill an hour? And then all of a sudden we get into August and we need nine hours to do a show with everything we could talk about. Uh, we've only got a minute or so here, but I guess we can let the cat out of the bag that uh, you and I are going to are going to add an hour during uh, the football season that will air on Sundays right here on 97.9. And it uh, it really will be immediate react 
to the to the Saturday football game and fresh content uh, on your Sunday morning and Sunday evening. I don't I don't know the exact times offhand. We'll obviously disseminate that info, but that'll be fun. Uh, it'll be a thing we'll put together uh, at the conclusion of the ball games. You'll be able to get up on uh, Sunday morning and get some new content, that type of thing. I think they'll replay it maybe one more time in the afternoon, evening. Uh, but yeah, just another opportunity for us to expouse our wisdom. Exactly. Or if your glass is half empty. There's going to be twice as much Keith and Tom in your life on these airwaves. There you go. We'll tune in again next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the front row.